This is episode 343 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are, We Need to Talk About Societal Collapse and Accuracy Testing. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Everyone, welcome to another week of podcast episodes here at the Prepper Website Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you'd like to find out some more information, I have a link in the show notes and also over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast and the first article of the week. It comes to us from prepblog.com. And the title is, We Need to Talk About Societal Collapse. So let's go ahead and read this one. Societal collapse is the king of all the Tiatwaki scenarios. In other scenarios, some aspect of society is harmed or lost, such as the loss of the power grid or the collapse of the economy or the erosion of law and order. In societal collapse, everything that makes society a civilization and not roaming bands of survivors falls apart. The result is severe. The power grid is permanently down. Agriculture is reduced to survival gardens and hunting gathering. Money is worthless. Law and order is gone. Violent gangs rule the streets. There's no more voting or politics. Perhaps we would have martial law to try to hold on to the last shred of our society. Almost everyone will be out of a job since pretty much all jobs are dependent on a working society, money, credit, and banks, all of which would be gone. Societal collapse is the end of civilization as we know it, but with human persons still surviving in whatever way is possible, how might this happen? The simplest path to utter collapse would be a severe natural disaster. A comet or asteroid strikes the earth just as happened with the dinosaurs. The force of the strike would cause massive earthquakes and tsunamis worldwide. The strike would also throw particular or particulate matter into the atmosphere, blocking out the sun cooling the weather and thereby destroying agriculture. Survivors of the initial catastrophe would slowly starve to death. But the point of this article is that in such an event, society would collapse before the mass starvation and possibly before the comet or asteroid strike. Yes, before. If the world were to learn of such an impending disaster, as described in the movie Deep Impact, and that's from 1998, I disagree that people would remain calm. As movie president Morgan Freeman says, Our society will continue as normal. Work will go on. You will pay your bills. There will be no hoarding. There will be no sudden profiteering. Yeah, I don't think so. If people knew the world was about to end, they would not go to work. Prices would jump sharply if there were anything left to buy. Very quickly, there would be no food left in grocery stores. And no one would be working so as to replace that food. And the same goes for other types of stores and businesses. The mere knowledge of the impending disaster might be enough to collapse society. But that type of event is very rare. A more likely event would have its bases in human events such as nuclear war. The results are much the same. Physical destruction of society and the deaths of, deaths of vast numbers of persons are one thing. And the other thing is the fear that grips survivors. 
People won't go to work or pay their taxes. People would no longer fear being arrested and put in prison. Law and order breaks down. Most of our complex agricultural system collapses, and so does the economy. And then we would have nuclear winter, not unlike the comet or asteroid-based nuclear winter. Schools would be shut down along with almost all business. We would be not so different from hunter-gatherer societies before the rise of civilization over 10,000 years ago. But other, more subtle disasters could cause societal collapse. If agricultural collapse, then the lack of food will cause violent crimes to skyrocket, overwhelming police and count and court resources. Then the economy will experience a sudden downturn due to the interference in commerce of crime and the need to spend most of one's income and time trying to obtain food. Many businesses will fall apart, causing unemployment to spin out of control. One problem leads to another and then another. The end result could be almost as bad as a severe natural disaster. But complete societal collapse requires a few more steps in this process. Not only does society experience greater harm and disorder, but the whole of civilization unravels. One point of view is that if one fundamental building block of society is knocked out, the rest of society can rebuild that failure point. The economy falls into a Great Depression and it eventually recovers. The agricultural system falls apart, but with the rest of society intact, it can be rebuilt. However, in the current circumstance, maybe that's not the way things would play out. The other possibility is that if any one fundamental building block of society fails, the rest fall like dominoes. If the economy falls into a Great Depression, the current agricultural system is so fragile and so dependent on commerce, it too will fail. And these failures will then cause the rest of society's fundamentals to collapse, with systems, which systems are needed to create a stable society. Agriculture is primary since food is the absolute daily necessity. Housing, medicine, education, law and order, transportation, electric power, communication, commerce, and government are all basic societal needs. Yet all these things are interdependent. So a collapse of one will certainly have negative repercussions on the others. And if enough of them fail, we no longer have a civilization. I don't think most people realize how fragile our world has become and how interdependent. No one system can stand on its own, not anymore. A societal collapse could start in another nation and then spread across the globe. And that is the worst of the prepper scenarios, other than a complete end of the human race. All right, so heavy lifting for uh, this first episode, right, of, of the week. And like, Todd, what the heck, man? Uh, you know, you're, you're giving us doom porn, and I'm not giving you doom porn. So I'm, I'm, you can look at this in two ways. One, you can look at it as the way, you know, Prep Blog here has it. And I'm not disagreeing with him at all. Um, our world is very, very fragile. There are a lot of things that are up in the air. And, you know, all you need to do is look at some of the other nations that have, are, are, are yeah, having issues, right? And so, uh, you know, Venezuela, I, I just got information, uh, you know, I, I get a report on Venezuela and things are just, they're continually getting worse and worse. And it's kind of like, you know, what the heck when, you know, and that's the thing, you know, everybody worries about stuff like uh, Israel and the Middle East. And we know, like, if you, if you watch any of those prophecy updates that I do, they talk about how the UN condemns Israel when all these other things are going on in the world and no one seems to care. It's just everyone's focused on Israel, right? And uh, for me, and you know, if uh, you've been listening to me at any 
for any length of time, you know that I'm a, I'm a Christian and, uh, you know, that's going to be the way it is because the world is going to uh, look negatively on Israel. And uh, that's going to be that's going to way that's going to be the way that it is to the end time. But all these other places are having issues, too. So not too long ago, Brazil, those uh, the truckers had a uh, they had a strike. And they were, you know, they were striking and things were bad. Things were coming to a halt just because the, the truckers were striking. And so one thing leads to another. Our world is very, very fragile. Another way to look at it is that our world for a while now has been interdependent. And though, although we have had wars in, you know, in other places in the, in the world and our politics is crazy and we are a, a divided nation right now and, uh, you know, things are very fragile. Things continue to go on. And we do have a set of knowledge and we do have a set of knowledge that helps us as, as opposed to people that were living before. And, you know, things collapsed. They did have skills. And that's one thing that always, you know, people always bring up is that they had skills that we don't have. But we also have the knowledge of how things seem to work and how things, uh, we know that there is a world out there, that there are conveniences, that there are uh, things that, you know, machines that help things, uh, you know, help life uh, become easier, Right. And so we have that knowledge. And so you know, there's people that would say we would never go back fully to the 1800s. Yeah, there would be a lot of heartache. There would be a lot of death. There would be some starvation. There would be things like that. But people would eventually kick into gear, hopefully, right, and do what needed to be done. At least there would be uh, pockets of people that would eventually do that. And so we have that knowledge. But again, I'm going back to the fact is that we have been interdependent for a long, long time and things continue to trek along. There's a lot of people in uh, the preparedness, survival, alternative news that uh, you'll, you'll, you'll read an article every once in a while and they'll say something like, I can't believe it's gone on this long or I can't believe the economy has continued to, to go on at this pace. You know, how much longer can it be? And so, you know, there are things that we just need to be thinking about and there's things that we need to be you know, uh, focused on. And that's why I always say we need to be aware. You know, one of the things about civilization is that there have been civilizations that have collapsed all over the world. And then people have been, uh, you know, people have rebuilt. You know, not too long ago, I wrote an article, insights from a video that I watched on the collapse of Rome. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about Rome and the United States and similarities, and definitely there's differences and things like that. There's a lot of similarities. And so I was watching this, uh, you know, uh, series on the collapse or on Rome, right? And I specifically focused on this episode on the collapse of Rome. And uh, I put it up on Ed That Matters. And uh, it's too short. I wouldn't read it on the podcast. But just some of my, uh, I guess, some of the lessons and some of the things that the video points out. I'll go ahead and link to it in the show notes if you're interested in watching that. It's, uh, you know, a little older video from the History Channel. But, you know, it, one of the, one of the things is that you know Rome collapsed, but civilization and the world went on. Now I know that some of the things that he was bringing up here are like real you know world catastrophe, like an asteroid hitting. Yeah, that would be bad, right? Um, you know, nuclear war. If the big nuclear powers set off nuclear bombs and it was just it'd be mutual destruction, and that would be really really bad. You know, those types of things uh, would be really really bad. Uh, but we're we're talking about. You know, if, if uh, just like the United States started crumbling, like he was talking about, basically he alluded that to that here, 
is that, you know, if the United States started crumbling, you know, there'd be other nations that could help out, maybe, possibly, maybe they would be, uh, they would welcome the United States collapsing. You know, maybe the the United States would break off into different nations. In fact, uh, Martin Armstrong does say that, that that is a possibility later on in, in the future, in the in the far future. Uh, you know, looking into uh, cycles and the way things happen, just because we are such a very divided nation. So I'm, I know that I'm rambling and I'm just kind of going on, but it's one of the things that we, as preppers, as one of the things as people that are staying aware is that you know we keep our eyes open for what's going on. If the world did crap out like this, you know, what are we, you know, what are you going to do? Do you have any kind of plans whatsoever? Or is it like, okay, we're just going to eat the food that we have in our pantry and then we're going to die. And I don't know. I'm not comfortable with that. You know, I want to be able to have some options and things like that. The other thing is that as a, as a believer, I know that the world is not going to be so destroyed that would not be able to usher in, you know, the, the, the second coming, right? I mean, every eye is going to, to see, every knee will bow, uh, at, at the when the sky splits open and Jesus comes back, and so I don't I don't really think that the world would ever be destroyed by an asteroid or you know something along those lines, nuclear war. There there could be war. I really believe that you know definitely you can have certain places in the world that can uh, you know things can go off, which they do right now. But I I don't think that the world would ever see. A complete destructive event like a super volcano going off, uh, asteroid. I, I, I really don't believe that. I could be wrong. That's just my opinion. I'm not citing any biblical uh, resources for that or scripture or, you know, I'm not saying, you know, the Lord told me or anything like that. That's just my opinion. But anyway, the world is very fragile. And, uh, you know, there could be things that happen that cause a lot of discomfort for us. And that's why we prep. And that's why we are aware. And that's why we keep our eyes open. And that's why we, you know, we want to make sure that we do it. Like at the very beginning of my podcast, I say that we do it because we love our families. You know, we love, we have our spouses, we have our kids, we have our grandkids. There are family members that we love and friends that we love and we care about. And we want to make sure that if there was pain and there was issues that happen in our world that we're able to help them and, and help the people that we love. I mean, the worst thing possible would be that, you know, you're in a poop hit the fan situation and people are looking at you as, you know, the head of your house uh, and it, there's nothing you can do, right? And I don't want that. I want to be able to have some options. I want to be smart about it. And maybe that means I go without some things right now. Maybe I go without going on on some trips. You know, it's summertime. People are talking about all the trips that they're taking. And I'm like, uh, you know, I got some some kids in college and, uh, you know, <laughs> I got to work. And, and, you know, I just don't have that extra money to go off on these big elaborate uh, trips, but because I don't want to. I don't want to spend that money on that. There's other things that are more important to me. And so you, we make our decisions and we do what's right, at least in our eyes, and we try the, the very best to uh, do everything that we can. And then uh, for those of you that are believers, we trust in the Lord for the rest of it. All right, guys, that's over prep at prepblog.com. Again, like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes and uh, just rambling on that one, uh, but hopefully you find a little bit of value. Um, our next article comes to us from survivalblog.com, and this one, it, well, it's entitled Accuracy Testing, but it's specifically talking about handguns and uh, about guns and, and testing your firearms and the accuracy of your firearms. And so I thought this was pretty interesting for those who 
uh, you know, are into firearms and maybe you, you are new to firearms and this is something that uh, would benefit you as you are going out and you are shooting and you are practicing and you are learning your firearm or even you want to add to your knowledge. So let's go ahead and read this one again. It comes to us from survivalblog.com, accuracy testing. Readers contact me all the time about how I conduct my accuracy testing. Even though I spell it out in my articles, I still get the same questions. I make no claims to have any special power when it comes to shooting. I just shoot a lot, and I've been professionally trained in long gun and handgun shooting. So what I do with my handgun tests. Here's what I do with my handgun test. After I'm about halfway through breaking in a gun for an article, I'll conduct my accuracy testing. For this, I used a rolled-up sleeping bag, usually, over the hood of my pickup. The target is at 25 yards. I'll load five rounds in a magazine, hunker down as best I can, and fire those five rounds for accuracy. If I feel I pulled a shot or two, I'll do the shooting again. Quite honestly, I just have some really bad days. When this happens, I'll come back another day to conduct accuracy testing. I don't want to report a gun or ammo combo is giving me 10-inch groups when I know that I'm at fault. Honestly, the accuracy testing takes up a lot of time, especially if I'm shooting maybe 10 different loads through a gun. All of the loads get tested, and it's very time-consuming. Some gun riders take pleasure in measuring groups down to 10 thousandths of an inch. That's crazy, if you ask me. I'll try to round off my groups to the nearest one-eighth of an inch. And oftentimes, there is no clear-cut winner when it comes to accuracy. In this case, I'll report it as a tie or too close to call. For my needs and most of us, a mere fraction of an inch difference really won't matter in a real-life, real-world shooting. This is just my two cents worth. I like to carry the most accurate loads I can in my handguns, but this isn't always possible. When testing a gun or ambo combo, a FMJ round might be the most accurate by far. However, it isn't suitable for self-defense or hunting purposes. In that case, I'll take a pass on it being the best load to carry and go to a better self-defense round, even though it isn't always the most accurate load tested. To be sure, different guns shoot different loads better than others. I've had identical guns, and when testing the same ammo, usually one handgun will shoot better than the other. There is not a big surprise there. I'm only human, and as such, I make mistakes, or better yet, I'm just better one day than another when it comes to accuracy. One day, the XYZ load will give me the best group. Then the following day, using the same gun and ammo combo, the XYZ load isn't the most accurate load, even though I'm using the same gun and same ammo as the day before. My time is very limited when it comes to firearm articles, so these days I make every attempt to get all my shooting done on the same day. If I have to come back another day, I'm losing money. Sometimes I have volunteer helpers. There is never a lack of volunteers when it comes to shooting a new gun and free ammo. But more often than not, I'm shooting alone. Even though some of my helpers might shoot for groupings, it is only my groups that I report. I'm the writer, and I'm the last word when it comes to my articles. Now, just because the XYZ ammo load beat out the ABC ammo load during my testing, it doesn't necessarily mean that the XYZ load is more accurate or better than the ABC load. It just means that in my testing, the XYZ load beat out the ABC load on that day and with that particular gun with me behind the trigger. That's all it means. 
Plus, I've never used a Ransom Rest to test for accuracy. I prefer the rolled up sleeping bag setup, which gives me a better idea of real world accuracy. Many readers will write and say after reading a gun article that when they shot the same gun with the same ammo, they didn't get groups like mine or any other gun writers groups. Most of the time, they are standing and not resting the gun. Thus, they get larger groups. That's all there is to it. Take the time to rest a gun and you'll get tighter groups. The standard in the industry seems to be testing a duty-sized handgun at 25-yard distances. I personally think that's too far, as in the real world, most shooting takes place at 21 feet or less. But for the sake of not rocking the boat, I'll go along with the 25-yard distance. However, with smaller guns, I'll test for accuracy closer. It only makes sense. Look at my findings as a general direction. To take wind testing guns and ammo and then see what works best for you. Honestly, there aren't a lot of really bad ammo makers out there. It's just that some ammo shoots more accurate in certain guns than others. Here's a short story. I purchased for my own use a Bushmaster AR-15. The one was from the new Bushmaster company, not the original. And no matter what brand of type of ammo I used, the gun would not group. Instead, it patterned like a shotgun. At 25 yards, I would have been disappointed in a shotgun that patterned as large as the Bushmaster did. I traded the gun off the next day. Always try several different types and brands of ammo in any guns you plan on carrying for self-defense and see what combo works best for you. Take my findings just as a guide and go from there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at your own findings. I hope this helps our readers understand how I conduct my accuracy testing. And so if you are, you know, you want to look at a specific uh, firearm and, and maybe uh, some, look at what kind of ammo um, Pat, and this is by Pat Cascio, Cass, um, Cass, I think, um, you can go over to Survival Blog and, and then search and you'll definitely find a lot of information. Survival Blog has been around for a very, very long time. And you'll find a lot of information here, but definitely, you know, one of the points that I want to make, because I'm, I guess I'm talking to new firearm owners right now, you know, if the, the FMJ, the ball ammo that you get, and that's what you're going to go use to practice, you know, at the, at the, at the range, you know, that's going to be a lot cheaper. And, uh, there's so many different brands out there. You just try them out. And he's very, uh, accurate on what he's saying right here that some some guns some firearms just do better with other uh, with other ammo and so you might find that you get some ammo and, and if you're not buying and trying out a lot of it you might think it's your gun and so you you go to the you know you go buy a, a package of nine millimeter or whatever and then you go and you shoot it and you're you're getting a lot of misfires or you're getting a lot of jams and you're you're um, not misfires but you're getting a lot of jams and, you know, it's like, what the heck, what's going on? And you think your gun's defective. Then what I would do is go out and try another brand and maybe even talk to the people at uh, the range because a lot of the times those guys are very, very knowledgeable. And just ask them, hey, I'm having trouble. I'm getting a lot of, you know, jams with this one. Um, do you, you know, are there any other firearm or are there any other ammos that uh, brands that you have known that, that work a little bit better in this particular type of, uh, of gun? And, and then try that. And you're doing that to practice and you're doing that to, you know, to, to, to make sure you're running your, you run your firearm so that you feel very comfortable with it. And then after you're, you're doing all that, you still need to find that defensive ammo that you are going to use. And so, you know, it's very easy to go out and defensive ammo is going to be a lot more expensive. 
but you still need to go ahead and, and run it through your, your firearm to make sure that you're not going to get the same type of jams that you get uh, with, with, your, uh, with, with that ball ammo, right? And so the worst thing would be is that you find some good ball ammo or a good FMJ that, that works really, really well. And then you, uh, you know, you get some, some defensive ammo. And then if you really, really need it, it starts jamming on you and you don't want that. And so you still need to run it through, although it's a little bit more expensive. It might hurt your pocketbook just a little bit more. If you really are carrying for self-defense purposes, that is something that you need to do. And I know that there's a lot of you out there that are listening that are very, I mean, you experts, you uh, run circles around uh, you know, all the stuff that I'm saying. And I'm sure you could add a lot to what I'm saying here. But those of you that are new, definitely that's something that you need to consider and are new to firearms and something that you need to consider. And you need to be thinking about self-defense. I mean, going back to the first article that, uh, you know, our world is very fragile. I mean, I don't know. Take a look at your neighborhood. Take a look at your community, your city. Has crime increased uh, in, in the last five, ten years? And uh, I think it's just going to get worse. So I, I think it's reasonable to want to defend yourself and defend your home and your family and all those types of things. And so there's a lot of things that you can do there and take into account. Sometimes people, will, you know, you get uh, some long-term food storage. You go buy some legacy food storage and you put it in your closet, uh, you know, and you're like, okay, you feel a little bit more comfortable with that. It has 25-year shelf life and all that kind of stuff. But with a firearm, if, you, if you're going to use it, I think you need to get out there and you need to practice with it. And so you can't just buy a firearm, put some bullets in it, and then you're good, uh, you know, waiting for the bad guys. So uh, go out and uh, spend a little bit of time, a little bit of money on uh, making sure you have everything you need to, uh, to run your firearm correctly. So if anybody has anything else to add, hey, come on over to the episode, to episode 343, and drop me a, drop me a comment. And uh, I'd love to be able to share that uh, on on the on the podcast because I'm definitely I never want to consider myself an expert in firearms. I'm just uh, d- definitely not. I try not to consider myself an expert in anything. Try to just know a lot, right? And just uh, be uh, be someone who just knows a little bit of everything and you know kind of go from there. All right, guys, that is it for episode 343 and a new week of podcast episodes is out the gate. Hey, I appreciate you hanging out with me. Hey, um, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect on the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.